Hello, everyone, and welcome to our next edition of the Florida Housing Hour podcast. Today, I'm joined by my real estate friend, Elena Ivani, with Green Star Realty out of Valrico, Florida. And uh, we're here to talk about real estate. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Yeah. I was excited when when you mentioned it, and then I got the email. People are like, oh, that, that looks really professional. It's like, well... It is. <laughs> it's like really professional. I don't think there's a lot in here that um, other studios and producers and stuff don't have, you know, so yeah. I've, I like it. I'm having fun with it. I think it's a great thing. Uh, you know? The best part is having fun with it. Yeah. Right? If you're not yeah. having fun, do something else. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's a really I like the concept. It's a good idea. I think, you know, I'm a little bit biased, but Me too. I think it works. So um I'm just going to jump into some questions and we'll get started. You know, I, like I always say that we are, we have no uh, time restriction here. We have no format. We're just kind of go through a list of things that I have prepared and anything that comes up, we just talk about it and go from there. All, All right. right. So if you would tell me a little bit about your background and uh, kind of who you are, where you come from, what do you do? What in your words, what do you think? All right. Well, born and raised in Brooklyn. I was born in Brooklyn Hospital, went to Brooklyn College, so triple threat. I am Florida by choice, and Tampa area was absolutely my spot when my husband and I were looking to make the move. A long time ago, I wore a hat as a floor broker on Wall Street. I was on the American and New York Stock Exchanges. I'd cut my teeth in late 90s, 96 on the options exchange for American Stock Exchange. What a wild ride. (laughs) Then crossed over to the New York Stock Exchange, which was known as the big board. But after a while, it wasn't singing to my spirit. And my husband and I had the opportunity to jump ship. And I never stepped foot in Tampa until I got the keys to our apartment. (laughs) So I... It was a big trust, and it was trusting my husband to find us a place that was suitable for me to live with him and Did our dog. Did he come here first, or were you both here at the same time? He came about a month, month and a half prior with an apartment locator. Okay. And did the scoop, and I had just minimal criteria. I'm a 9-11 survivor, so I did not want to be near an airport at all with planes flying above me. I have no problem getting on them. I just did not want that above my head all the time. Sure. And when we came in, I was like, I like this place. You did good. (laughs) You did good. I'll keep you around. So what year did you move here to Tampa? 2004. So next month will be my 19th anniversary. And first six months we were here, I just truly drove around. I would drop them off at work and just take the car and randomly drive places find out what my new town was all about. And while I did miss New York City and all the culture and everything that I grew up with, I enjoyed knowing that Tampa was a younger city in comparison. So seeing the growth from 2004 to now 2023. Kind of snuck up on us, right? Man. Looking back over that period of time, you can feel it, but day-to-day kind of is what it is. I used to drive to Anna Marie Island and come back on 301. Mm -hmm. And 301 was truly just green cow pastures. And now it 
is so built up the whole way. So progress is good. Sorry for the cows that got misplaced. <laughs> There's and still plenty of room th- for cows. There There's are. a lot of <laughs> land left here now. We're, we're, we're in good shape there. there so is. on the stock exchange, is it like it? Is it really like that they show in the movies? You know, just the craziness, papers flying everywhere, people running around. It just looks like general chaos. Yes, but they did switch things. It used to be paper everything, right? So you would, you know, have a buy ticket, a sell ticket, a look ticket. And once you were done, you would just kind of throw it on the floor. So it was at the end of the day, bless those cleaners (laughs) and, and the shredders. But... They did a changeover where everything had to become electronic for tracking purposes, make sure there was no insider trading and there was no, you know, bad things that unfortunately in every industry, there are people who are trying an edge. Mm -hmm. And but it was I went in market opened at 930. I was there at 830 to go over the day before question trades and from 9.30 until 4 o'clock, you were using every fiber of your being and had everything thrown at you. I was an execution clerk, uh, which meant I had brokers screaming and yelling at me. And then I had traders on the phone screaming and yelling at me. <laughs> and I had to hold it together. That wears down on you, which yeah. is why after a while, I mean, I loved it. I loved the energy. I loved the money. But there were more things, and I was thankful that at a young age, in my mid-20s, I realized it's not all about money. You know, I got to do something that is fun. Mm-hmm. So if you happen to zone out on that conversation, that almost sounded like you were describing a real estate agent, right? Yeah. Buyer, seller. <laughs> it, it, hit them yelling at you, these yelling at you. <laughs> it, so, and it's quite funny because it does kind of progress because when I came to Florida... My first job down here, and I worked with the company for 13 and a half years, was Hard Rock. And I started off in their hotel ops, and then about a year in, I moved into their player development marketing department and became a casino host. A few years in, moved up to executive host, which again, I was the liaison. I was that middle person between the gambler or the guest, the VIP, and the casino, a.k.a. the house. So a little bit different, but a lot of fun. I got to hear music all day long instead of screaming and yelling. <laughs> but after a while, right, 13 and a half years while, it started again to weigh on me. And I knew that there was something more that I could be doing and I could really be contributing to people as opposed to calling people and being like, hey, Josh, I haven't seen you in a while. You want to come in and have dinner and I'll send the wife to the spa? Well, I was really good at what I did because you would then come in and drop a few grand and they made my book look good and your wallet would tremble every time my phone, the phone rang from mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. and decided I was going to eventually wean myself out and 2018 my father's cancer returned and that's what really put it into perspective that my family needed me and what could I do to still contribute to my family 
And I said, you know, I think I'm going to try real estate. So then starting on Wall Street, went to the casino. And late 2018, I got licensed for real estate. And WCR is Women's Council of Realtors, which is something that I am part of and that I came into a couple of years ago. But coming into real estate truly let me use all my powers for good, right? I'm helping people. I'm educating them. I'm advocating for them. I'm their person to help them navigate these crazy times. It's stressful for someone to buy a home for the first time or a second time or third and on. Yeah, I don't think the time matters. You know, it does. they could be 15 houses deep into their real estate career or, uh, you know, homeownership path. But every deal is different and there's a different set of stressors that could come along with every deal. Are you working with a with an out-of-control seller? Do you have uh, financing issues? Is the market wonky? You know, pick it. Pick which one you want to stress over. I know. Roll mm-hmm. the dice and let's see what happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. But a lot of what I've found to assist me in serving, because I don't sell anything, I serve. I serve the buyers, I serve the sellers, and I serve my realtor community. And educating. When I got licensed, I didn't know what, right? I passed my test, now what? Mm-hmm. So I, the association offered a lot of classes, post-licensing education. And thank goodness for that, because that was my semblance and consistent for myself. Because lo and behold, 2019 rolled around, my mom passed. So I've had a lot of, you know, things that technically would knock me back. And I just use it as fuel, right? Live in my mom's honor and then keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. So getting all that education in those first couple of months while my family life was under a lot of stress, it was something that I was able to control. I was able to control what I was learning so then I can use it at a later date. And first year, seven designations later with about 300 hours of CE (laughs) credit, which is way more than the average bear, but it really helped me do better, right? Because you don't need to be sick to do better. Mm -hmm. And my goal is every day doing a little better. How can I do more? How can I improve? What can I learn? That's great. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, did you say seven in the first year? Yes. Was that the number? Seven designations. That's a lot. It is. Yeah. Especially one of them was the GRI, which is the Graduate Realtor Institute. Mm -hmm. That alone consists of 119 class hours and seven exams. So again. Can you tell me, can you break down a few of those? You know, the GRI? Yeah. You've done MRP? Yes. That was one of, that was my second one. So the Mm -hmm. first one that I did was the PSA, which is the Pricing Strategy Advisor. So can I guess what that is? Because I've never taken one of those. Yeah. I haven't, you know, that's not, for, I'm not a realtor, so I don't, that's not for us. But do you, I'm, when I hear that title, I almost hear like um, appraisal training. Is that sort of what it is? It is truly doing nothing but comparables and market analysis, mm-hmm. which is similar to an appraisal and it helps you kind of think like an appraiser 
as far as where a home will be valued. And that valuation model works for buyers and sellers. Mm -hmm. Because when you're working with a seller, you want to list their home at a price that is within the market. You don't want to price it high. You don't want to price it low. You kind of want to be right in there. And then for a buyer, you also want to know when you're putting in that offer, you've shown the buyers, this is what the other homes in this area that are similar in amenities and features are priced at and what they've sold at. So, yeah. So that one's a deeper. So rather than just kind of, you know, automating a CMA off of, I don't know, whatever websites offer them now, we've, we've got act, we use half a dozen of them here sometimes. Um, instead of that automated look, you're able to take it deeper dive and get human eyes on it and say, this happened, this happened, this happened. And actually doing the adjustments mm-hmm. because those valuations, those automated valuation models, which are great. Mm-hmm. But it's just a starting point. It's an estimate. It's the data. That's all it is. It's it's not pictures. It's not opinion, trends. It's not going into the home. Mm -hmm. They just say, well, here's a 3-2 of 1,600 square feet. And here's a 3-2 of 1,600 square feet. Who's to say that house A wasn't beautifully remodeled and has storm windows and storm shutters and granite or marble and luxury vinyl and house two while is the same blueprint has 25 year old carpet and original jealousy windows and you know Mm -hmm. the old school kitchen yeah yeah so i've always been curious about what's in the gri the graduate realtor institute is broken into three different sections first one is the 100 series which goes over Basically, running real estate as a business, it is it is a business. Because in licensing and like you're, you know, the 63-hour, even the 45-hour, there's no how-to. It's basically, I always tell people it's how to stay out of jail and how to keep your license. That's really what they're teaching you in those. They're not teaching you how to know people skills, um, sales efforts, marketing, customer service, like they don't touch on any of that, right? In the in the pre-license and post-license. They don't. Yeah. They, they teach you, right? What most people will remember is the 43560, right? Four old ladies driving 35 and a 60. That is how I memorized how many square feet there are on an acre. <laughs> and, but yeah, I mean, they teach you those things, but they don't teach you the actually how to do it, which mm-hmm. is why once I got licensed, I was like, okay, great. I passed this exam. I'm licensed to sell real estate, but I don't know a contract. I don't know addendums. I don't know how to value anything. They don't even show you how to open a door. Mm-hmm. Some of these lockboxes are uh, hmm, <laughs> from the 80s, right? And some of them, what if you're in that rural area and they have an electronic lockbox and you don't have great service? Mm-hmm. Good times standing there with your buyer staring at you like, oh, you don't know how to open a door. (laughs) So they don't teach you those things. But the GRI really went in depth as far as writing a business model, writing a marketing plan. What's your unique selling proposition? What are the other people in your industry not to compare, but what are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? And what are you going to do for your business 
to go forward and to last because the harsh statistic is 70 plus percent of licensed agents do not make it past their two years. Mm -hmm. And when I heard that stat, I looked around at all the other people in the class with me who were rookies, right? I was licensed under a year. And I said, well, I'm going to be here. What about you? There's no, there's no option. What do I need to do to move forward? Yeah. Then it went into a lot of law, right? Because staying out of jail and, and staying out of freck <laughs> are uh, very important for anyone in business. Mm -hmm. And how to understand and how to interpret because people don't know these 12 pages, what it means. We're supposed to. Right. As the realtor, we're supposed to know. Yeah, that's that's the whole reason you're involved. Right. You know, help me help me step through this process. Help me understand what this addendum means or what this clause means and keep me out of trouble. Right. You know, that's that's what you're hired for. And so the GRI was that one, the PSA we had spoken about, the MRP, which is one of my favorites, the military relocation professional. That was my second one that I earned. We live in an area, right? We have McDill Air Force Base, and McDill is also home to Central Command for mm -hmm. the Middle East. Yeah. So we have a big military community for active and retired. A lot of people in the service, when they are looking for their exit strategy and it's time for retirement, they get to pick where they go. Mm -hmm. Why not Florida? Why not where it doesn't snow? Right. <laughs> Why not? And, you know, no state income tax. I mean, there's so many advantages to living here. Why not go where your money is a little bit stretched, mm -hmm. you know, stretches a little further? You know, speaking of McDill, there's also a huge, you know, central, uh, central commands there. And so is Special Operations Command. They're there as well. And so that brings all branches from, right. you know, it's not just an Air Force base at McDill. It's, well, technically it's an Air Force base, but there's so much more going on there. And then there's such a big contingent of civilian contractors that work there too. So I've had a ton of clients in the past who have come through, made McDill their last post, and then as soon as they're out, they're back in as a contractor. So it's still a great employment opportunity for them to be here and because that's where the jobs are for that, for that section niche, yeah. of the military, you know, over the service. And it, it truly, when I took that class and earned my little badge, I was so proud to be able to offer something to serve people who serve us. And being of service has always been in my blood. Mm -hmm. My father had restaurants. He served his community by way of the coffee cup and plate. I serve my community by way of the key, right? A key to home ownership or selling that key. And the military families don't always know on pairing with you guys, because truly you are my VA go-to oh, always. Thank you. Thank you. But having someone who I may not understand exactly what they're going through, but I can empathize and I have a lot of, I have heart, I have family members and my broker is even retired military. And a lot of my personal friends are military active or retired. They need people who are going to act on their behalf and mm -hmm. truly serve them and then explain to sellers, when I work with sellers, 
the VA loan gets a bad rap. I personally love it. I think it's the best loan out there. It's the only loan that's guaranteed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a great loan. And qualification, loan size, no income requirements, aggressive approvals. So yeah, it's a it's a great loan. And in the end. In the event that something goes wrong with the, that appraisal, right, they can second guess it. They, the appraiser says, hey, I don't think this is going to look good. Mm-hmm. So you do Tidewater. Mm-hmm. And then even after that, the buyer can recommend a re-estimate, mm-hmm. even if that doesn't come back. I don't know any other loan product that gives you your first chance, your second chance, and a third chance. To make it happen. Yeah. So being able to serve people who serve our country is, again, near and dear to my heart. Then we move into, right, at home with diversity. That's the AHWD, and it looks like a block house with a few different colors because we are a diverse area. We are a diverse country. Mm-hmm. There are people who identify as whatever they choose and people who by birth are born of different colors of different nationalities and there's cultures and customs while I may not be of those cultures and customs, but again, I can be empathetic and then I ask questions. Tell me about your culture, right? I, I love to learn. I want to know what's different. How did you grow up different from me? <laughs> and that one was a great one. That was a prerequisite for a few other designations that I earned the ABR, which is the Accredited Buyer's Representative. That one truly is how to serve your buyers and let them know that it's not just one that you can just take, pass a test. You actually have had to have done some buyer side deals successfully in order to claim that designation after you've gone through the coursework and the exam. Same thing on the other side for the seller representative specialist. You got to go through the coursework. You got to do closed deals so you can't just claim it. And they open up so much more on how to use a buyer agreement, how to negotiate for your buyer, how to negotiate for your seller, how to set the expectations. Then we move into one of my favorite ones is the Rennie, real estate negotiating expert. So between the GRI and Rennie, GRI only about 18% of realtors nationwide hold. And only about 12% of realtors actually take some formal negotiation training. So I took a designation, Mm -hmm. which was basically a little bit more than just some training. We did true in-class negotiations. We were given scenarios and it kind of pinned you against each other and then understanding how in a negotiation, it's not, I'm going to win because you're going to lose. No one likes that. Right. Lawyers like that. <laughs> but we don't. But typically, they're also fighting another lawyer who... <laughs> Correct. It yeah, is. You know, they're, they're, they're at odds. Mm-hmm. But you kind of want to make sure that you understand where the other person's coming from. What's their motivation? Why are they holding on that price? Or for the buyer, what's their motivation? How do we explain to them that, listen, the sellers are divorcing and they kind of really do need the maximum from their property because they're not getting every dollar 
they're getting 50 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. So using that all those negotiation skills really helped me play better in the sandbox with others. Because if I'm working a deal, I want it to close. I want to get to the finish line, and I got to be on the same team as the other agent, even though we're working for different parties. I see that, you know, that's something that I've, that I've been thinking about as you've been talking about this, looking from the outside in, in hearing the way that you started, you know, what you're in your fifth year now, right? Yes. That, yeah, fifth year. So these courses and designations and extra education from, again, outsider looking in, I feel like a lot of this stuff can be picked up in experience over time. But it sounds to me like what these des designations do is they fast track you to front load a lot of those scenarios and give you some experience before you fumble your way through a real life transaction, right? They do. They set you up for success because they basically go behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. And the instructors, Florida Realtor and National Association of Realtors instructors are realtors who aren't just licensed a year or two. They have decades of experience. So they're also bringing to the classroom real experience. This is what really happens. This is how a deal fell apart. And knowing all the ways a deal can fall apart kind of helps you keep them together because you're explaining to your buyer or your seller, okay, great, you got a contract, but all right, we have hurdles to still get through. And being able to pick the brains of really smart people, right, and really experienced people is a blessing because they are here giving of themselves. They're mm -hmm. giving their time because we know those instructors can obviously do better income-wise when it comes to using their business, right, mm -hmm. selling, helping people buy and sell versus giving of their time to educate the others, but that's how we get better. Yeah, well, that says a lot about that person, too, is that they have a heart to be able to share and to help make everybody better and be a resource to help pull people up, you know, and keep the industry moving forward and keep the, because, you know, realtors are always, it's a, road, it's a revolving door, right? People come in, they work, they have their career, they wind down. You know, some people get in while times are hot and lay low while times are not. There's always a, you know, there's always a fresh batch of people who should be striving to learn more and, and you know, expand their breadth of knowledge, I think. Good, especially after coming off of uh, our COVID pandemic era. Mm -hmm. I was so thankful during COVID that I was licensed before COVID. And I actually had a little over a year, about a year and a half of a normal or not normal, a typical market. Right. And it really helped me learn my craft, hone my craft, and really figure out who I want to be as an agent. And I realized I want to be the agent I want to work with. So communicate is the first thing. Mm -hmm. Answering the phone. Big one. Re Easy one, but big one. Replying. I mean, mm -hmm. there are many times I can't answer immediately, but I'm calling them back mm -hmm. or I'm shooting them a text. Hey, I'm at an appointment. Something, you know, I'll touch base with you later or give me some time. But, right, being transparent. Full disclosure, mm -hmm. right? Just like 
working with a seller, we have a seller disclosure. We want to make sure that we disclose all the things. If I have a listing and I have multiple offers, I tell people, listen, I have multiple offers. Some are above, some are at, some are below. The strongest one is a financed offer. I won't go into details, but I give them an idea. And sometimes I'll use percentages and be like, so some of the offers are about 10% above. If they can figure out their commission, they can figure out that math. (laughs) Agents are good at percentages, aren't they? Yes, (laughs) we are. But it really, and taking the classes, I took the same contract class four times. Taught by the same instructor four times. And each time I took that class, I came out understanding our contract better. Mm -hmm. That I can say, page this is where you'll find this. And on this, or these are the things you fill in. These are the things that default. It helps me better serve. Mm -hmm. And when a contract comes to you, you want to know that it's filled out the right way and doesn't have 52 scratches on it. Sure. How do we do a clean contract? How do you revise it? Or just put an addendum. If the first contract's starting to get sloppy and no one wants to re-sign a new contract, put an addendum but also making sure you're using the right addendum because that Florida has three different contracts, Mm -hmm. the as is the far bar and the crisp. So make sure that, and again, that's something I learned in the contract class. If you're using the as is contract, use the as is addenda. If you're using the crisp, use the crisp addenda. Mm -hmm. You'd be surprised how many people send over offers for my listings One, they're not filled out all the way. They have different addenda that doesn't match. Some of them are also outdated. Always using the most recent one is important because those are changes that Florida Legal has made. October of 21 was when they did the last revision that went into effect November 1st, 2022. And I sat in on contract changes, probably three classes taught by Florida Realtors lawyers, which is very dry, but it changed. There's no more for communication. What one of the big changes was what is adequate communication? No more text. Text is no longer considered illegal communication, even though we text a lot. So if I'm texting someone or I'm on the phone with them, I'm sending an email mm-hmm. as a follow-up yeah. to summarize what was said because email is legal communication. Yeah, that, It blows me away when I hear people, you know, agents a lot of times, oh, I don't deal with email. I don't check email. If I, I'm all on text. And I can't, I don't know how you live like that because, you know, emails you can forward, archive, reply, star, save, flag, remind put in different folders and I feel like my text message inbox is just a bunch of chaos. You know, it's just one long thread of texting. And if you get buried or pushed down or what if it doesn't go through and you don't know that it didn't go through, you know, things like that. I can't, it's a convenience and I think it will always be a convenience, but it's going to take a lot to get rid of email. More so what happens when your phone dies? Yeah. Right. My phone LCD screen went out last week. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was panicked. (laughs) Oh, I was panicked. I go into the 
cell phone store and I'm like, hey, so my phone's not working. I can hear it working. I can feel the text messages coming through. I couldn't see them. Mm. I couldn't access them. Thank goodness my watch was connected, right? We're in Inspector Gadget times when <laughs> we can talk and text on our watch. So I sent an email to the people that I had uh, deals working with. Hey, my phone died. I'm on my way to the store. I'm going to be out of commission for about an hour and a half. Email me should you need me or call me. I can answer from my watch. But when I got the new phone, not all my text messages transferred. Mm -hmm. So all of those messages that were pending or coming yeah, in. Who knows? At least in an email. Mm -hmm. Record. It's still there. Yeah, exactly. It's just not on the phone. I can open the laptop or the mm -hmm. desktop or the tablet. So yep. always a much better. But communication is one of the things that definitely needs to be better for everyone. One of the things I love about you guys is during a deal, you get a weekly update. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. Mm -hmm. And it explains what's In the happening. age of communication, communication is almost not at the forefront. You know, right. it's I think everybody, I don't know why, but I don't, I don't know if people just assume other people know what's going on or I don't know. But I mean, literally in the age of communication, I've talked about this before. You know, there's probably, if I counted them all up, there's probably a dozen ways to reach me right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, email, text, phone, office phone, uh, Facebook, Messenger, post on Facebook, Instagram, message, all the social platforms. And, you know, there's so many ways to do it. And I think somebody, a professional who values that and understands it, it's, it's another one of those easy things. Like you said, answer your phone, you know, get back to people. It's the same vein. You know, same same thing. Easy, but not done by everyone. You know, not everybody does that. I know. And when I get a lot of people saying, hey, I'm thinking about becoming a realtor, getting my license. What do you think? We're not, as an industry, transparent on all the things. I give people the good, bad, and the ugly. Mm -hmm. And then they look at me and they're scared. And I say, but it's beautiful and wonderful. And it's like, right, I'm a parent. Being a parent is scary, <laughs> but it's beautiful and wonderful, mm -hmm. but it's scary and there's a lot at risk. Being a realtor is beautiful and scary and there's so much at risk. It's not just my risk, it's other people's risk. Mm -hmm. And that's my drive for always wanting to learn and to know because how can I better serve you? Mm -hmm. I took it so far again, I apparently just love to serve I serve on the board of directors for Women's Council. I was just about to ask you about the Women's Council. So I know you've been a part of that for a while, right? A couple of years. What is, what's that all about? What do they do there? And so, is, that a, is that a part of the Realtor Association or is this a totally independent thing? So Women's Council was formed in 1938. Wow. Because back then, women were not represented by the National Association of Realtors. Mm -hmm. So, as most women do, we gather, we figure out a game plan, and we work it out. And they worked out by creating Women's Council of Realtors, and it's based on four pillars. Education is the first pillar. Networking is the second pillar. Referrals, and then leadership. Joining Women's Council 
I was invited to an, a little informal gathering by a female realtor who I love. And she said, hey, I think you'd enjoy. You should come to this. I know it's a little far. We're meeting over in Madeira Beach. And I said, well, let me see if my schedule fits. Well, I made it fit. I was surrounded by, I think we were about 18 to 20 women there and a couple of men because 10% of women's council members are men. They got to be strong enough to put up with all those smart <laughs> women. But so I get there and everyone's kind of just doing a little intro and talking about things. And when I left, I was floating, driving back. Mm -hmm. I was like, I have found my tribe. <laughs> These people. are intelligent, caring, devoted, passionate individuals who, like me, want to make it better. And had I not taken on, you know, I said yes. Had I not taken on that, that invitation, I would not be serving as a, a board of director. And from saying yes to that, the pa immediate past president of Women's Council, when she was president, had said to me, hey, she sent me an email, right? Good communicator. She sends me an email and says, I think you should, uh, I think this would be good for you. And it was District 6. I had no idea what I was saying yes to. <laughs> I filled out the application. Now, this is District 6 for? Real estate, for realtors, which is the Tampa, Tampa area. Okay. Okay. Again, Florida? So Florida Realtors, the Tampa area. Florida's broken up into districts. Okay. And Pinellas and Tampa and Hernanda, Pinellas, Tampa, and Pasco are lumped into District 6. Okay. I know that now. When I say I had no idea <laughs> what I said yes to, but I knew, right, if the president of anything says, hey, I think this would be good for you, you say yes. So I said yes, filled out that application, paid my $99. A few weeks later, I get an email, congratulations, we are welcoming you to the District 6 leadership group. Again, still didn't know what District 6 was, didn't know what I signed up for, but they gave me a bunch of dates that I needed to be places. So I just plugged them in my calendar <laughs> and showed up. It wasn't until the third course that I realized, oh, this is so I can serve my realtors on the state and local level. It's a prerequisite. Completed, I graduated last summer at the Florida Realtors Expo. They gave me another cute pin and a certificate, right? District 6 leadership. And I was given a mentor who is on our board of directors for Greater Tampa Realtors. And she said, you should run for Tampa Realtor Director. And I said, what is that? What do they do? <laughs> Again, but I said, sure. I said, yes, right? Good things come when you say yes. Not always, but the, the greater part of things work out. Mm -hmm. So here I am, rookie realtor, and I still considered myself a rookie realtor because I hadn't hit that five-year mark. And all these other people around me were 
15, 25, 35 years in the industry, I'm a rookie compared to them. But I have 27 years of sales and service behind me. So it may just be a couple of years here. Mm -hmm. So I did not get my Tampa director. And that was okay. Because, again, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I was signing up for. But I put myself out there. And when I got the call from the association president saying, hey, you know, Lena, you you didn't... um, you didn't get it. And I was like, that's okay. What can I do to still help, right? I still want to help. How can I serve my realtor community? And she said, we'll get back to you on that. We're going to be, you know, discussing some things. About a month later, I get a call from our now current president of Greater Tampa Realtors, who coincidentally, in my first year, was in a lot of the classes with me because he had to take those additional classes to get his instructor license. Mm -hmm. So he remembered me as the true green rookie realtor, right? Like under a year license, but I'm sitting here doing these classes. And we had stayed in touch and he had said he'd been following, you know, my progression and he was proud of me and he loves to see someone with passion. And would I like to be a Florida realtor director? So again, the president of anything asks you, would you like to? The answer should always be yes. So I said yes. So I am now serving not just my local. I am serving the entire state of Florida, which has 238,000 realtors. We are the largest amount of realtors in the United States. By state. So Florida is the highest number of realtors by state. Correct. 238,000? 238,000. That was the stat as of our January midwinter meetings, which was my first midwinter meeting. And learning about all the committees and all this back stuff that helps not just the public, but our realtors. If it wasn't for Florida Realtors lobbying, real estate would not have been essential when COVID hit. There Mm -hmm. were many states where real estate was not considered essential. So without realizing, I was very thankful to our state liaisons and all all those directors to push for us. I was just curious, that puts... 1% 1% of the population of Florida is a realtor. Yep. So one out of 100 people. And our area in the Tampa Bay, we have three associations between Tampa Real- Greater Tampa Realtors, Pinellas Realtor Organization, and the West Pasco. You are looking at, between those three organizations, probably about 40,000 realtors. That is more than 10%. That is, what, about 17 18% of the state are in our area. Mm. So, so how do you, how do they qualify that? Is that a, an active license holder? Is that how they count that number? Well, you can have a license, be a sales associate, mm-hmm. and not be a realtor. Right. So these are all people who Membership. are realtors. I see. So that they're, they're, into their, they're into their association as a designated realtor. capital R realtor. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Because realtors do have code of ethics. Mm-hmm. We 
you always want to work with a realtor, not just an agent. And it's simply because that code of ethics really does mean we're here to do good. I would say the vast majority of people buying and selling are realtors. Yes. Not like extreme vast majority, right? Because am I wrong to say to get access to the MLS, you have to be a realtor? Is that right? Well, we have all these third-party sites. Yeah. So I've had plenty of calls on my listings from people like, hey, I'm a licensed agent. I'm not a realtor. Oh, okay. Can you give me some info? I wonder what those numbers are. I'd be curious to know that. How many non, how many licensed non-realtors are there? uh, Lawyers. Yeah, with the bar. Is that the same thing? They can just take on. They just have to do an exam. Uh, Or depending upon other things, they don't have to do an exam. It's just they're licensed to negotiate the contracts. Doesn't a real estate degree satisfy that too? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Most people don't take it. Mm-hmm. And circling back to the GRI, the GRI used to be called the master's degree of real estate because of how many hours, right? Just under 120 course hours. Mm-hmm. Well, what's a master's degree? Yeah, it's a lot of hours. But now there's a master's of real estate. So it's now just graduate realtor mm-hmm. institute. I wanted to see if you could tell me a little bit about your brokerage and then your business structure. So... First off, let, let's talk. Let's talk about the brokerage first. Can you give me a background history? Is that the only place you've been? Have you made other stops prior to that? What do you? How did you wind up there? Where so I'm with Green Star Realty, and we are a high volume boutique brokerage. It is truly family to me, and I did not go anywhere before. This is my one brokerage. Okay, and. It was a natural progression. I actually used my broker to buy my second home, and I met my broker through his wife, who was in mom's club with me. So, right, I'm a wife, a mother, a realtor, servant, but we we jived, and when we were when my husband and I were and our kids were ready to, we had already outgrown our first house, which was 1,176 square feet. Which was great for two people and two dogs, but when you throw in a toddler and an infant, shrinks really fast. <laughs> chaos, chaos, and stress. So I said, Hey, Tracy, does Levi want to help me buy a house? And she was like, Of course. <laughs> so my broker, Levi, is retired military. He was Air Force. He's also a brown belt in jujitsu, which is always good to have if I'm going into a vacant home. And I don't feel safe going there. I'm like, hey, can you go check that out for me? (laughs) I'll send him to the wolves. But they've been in real estate for a little over 15 or so years, maybe longer. Don't quote me on the years, but a good enough time and high volume. And but we are a small brokerage in comparison to these big box names. Mm -hmm. What I love about the brokerage is their accessibility. Right. The broker really works for the agent because the agent, if the agent doesn't do the deal, the broker doesn't make money, vice versa. And they were very open when I said, hey, I'm going to go sit in on a bunch of classes. And he goes, after I want to say it was like my second or third month of classes, he goes, you're going to do anything with what you're learning? I said, no, no, I will. Don't worry. <laughs> and, and he goes, are these designations like and they would challenge me and question me on the path I was taking. You know, 
are these designations, they're great. You got to pay money to maintain them. Are they going to bring you any business? Well, the answer is yes. It continually brings me business, but they're approachable and they've been through so many scenarios. They also invest. So when I started working with investors, I was picking their brains on how does an investor think? How, what do they look at? And I'm also an investor, very small scale. But again, I do the same work and I look at the same numbers so I can learn how to analyze and having the availability to pick their brains and just sound off on things or even just vent. You're like, hey, you know, having a really rough day with X, Y, Z. Ah. And they're like, listen, it's normal. This happens. Deals fall apart. It's okay. It's it's how, right? How you get back up. Don't, you know, sure, the moment is the moment, but don't live there. Mm-hmm. Push forward, move forward. Five-second funeral is what we call it. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Mourn it for five seconds and you're back to it. Yeah, move along. <laughs> like, a, like a dog, right? They, mm-hmm. they see, they sniff, they move along. <laughs> yep. And, but they really did. They gave me, I, I joke and say that they give me enough rope that I can either skip it or I can hang myself with it. <laughs> Obviously, I prefer skipping rope as opposed to the alternative. But even with, I think we're about like 15 or 16 people total. There's the broker has a team and then there's a handful of independents. I'm one of those independents. I did not want to join a team. I wanted to be me. Mm-hmm because I did not want to take on someone else's identity. Mm-hmm. I have the best experience of being me. Yeah, So absolutely. why wouldn't I be me? And it really helped me get the experience and right. they cheered me on. Every time I was like, hey, I got a new buyer. Hey, I'm going on a listing appointment. They're like, keep going. We're so proud of you. <laughs> you have no idea. And they gave me the leeway. If I wanted to host an open house every day of the week, have at it. And I enjoy open houses. It's how I met a lot of buyers that mm-hmm. have eventually worked with me. Yeah, I've also met a lot of sellers who saw me, liked me, and then... Well, it's a novel idea to be in the product that you're selling, right? <laughs> it's not yes. all on the computer. Right. You know, it's not all on your phone. You do have to go out there in person and be in the place that you're trying to, that you're trying to market. Yeah. And, and you got to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I've been talking since I was nine months old. <laughs> my family says I haven't shut up since. <laughs> and I have no, outside of maybe losing my voice, I have no desire to ever stop talking and educating and learning. And I, I love real estate. Then we move into, right, me, right? What makes me and what my business? When I got licensed, I was like, okay, before I even passed my exam, I had already picked out my email address. Elena VIP Homes. Now, coming from the casino industry, being a high volume executive host in player development, I worked with VIPs. And everyone on every level wants to be treated like they're special, like they're a VIP. And I crafted my slogan Again, before I was even licensed, VIP treatment isn't an option. It's my standard. 
And I live true to that. It does not matter if I'm helping someone buy a $50,000 home or $5 million home. They are going to feel important because they are important. Mm -hmm. And staying true to that helped me. And I did have bumps along the road on spreading myself too thin, saying yes to too many things. But I've learned that sometimes it's better to say not right now. Or here, let me refer you to one of my realtor partners and I'll still be here to help you, but I can't be your boots on the ground for this because I do have too many other things going on, but I am still here to give you that VIP treatment. Earlier, you said you were from New York. You relocated here. Brooklyn specifically. Brooklyn. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Now. In the house. You moved here in 2004. You might remember that right. Yeah. I did. So you've been here for 19 years, coming up around that time, almost 20. What What kind of advice do you have to people who are back home or in the state? People in New York, Chicago, California, Illinois, I should say, California. What would you... What kind of advice would you give them if they were looking to make that big life change and uproot and come here? Check the demographic search first. And that was one of the ways I, as a New Yorker, circled and narrowed in on the Tampa Bay area was not only just, oh, Florida real estate, you know, I'll be able to buy something or rent something for a lot cheaper than the cost of living there, but who are the other people living in that area, mm -hmm. right? And Tampa, 19 years ago, had a median average of 37, which is fairly young for a Florida city. And coming from a bustling city, I wanted something that had a little skyline, which has grown in 19 years, but had energy to it. And having a lot of colleges in the area that number low, having a lot of young families in the area keeps that number low, but we do have a lot of retirees. There mm -hmm. is a lot of in the Tampa Bay area, Zephyr Hills, Sun City Center, Lakeland, Clearwater, St. Pete, Bradenton, Palm Harbor. Palm Harbor. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of those areas are ripe with retirees, giving them that close to things, but not too close for their, with their lifestyle. And that's really what helped me narrow down because most people are like, Oh, go to South Florida. South Florida is congested. And it's a very mixed bag too. There's a lot of difference going on down there when it comes to anything. Yeah, it's your, your horse area, your beach area, your, you know, uh, well, Miami was dubbed New York six borough. Yeah. And I did not want, if I was coming from congestion, I wanted a little less congestion, yeah, a little room right? to breathe. A little bit. I mean, we got our traffic and we have malfunction junction. We also have space, right? It's not super congested. And that's what I really looked. What did I want my lifestyle to be? And that's what helped me figure out the where. Then, again, took a leap of faith by trusting my husband on finding us a place to live. But I rented the first year. Mm-hmm. And I knew my goal was we're going to rent for a year, year and a half, and then we'll buy. Yeah. Get the lay of the land, see where things are. I didn't know Valrico like existed. Mm -hmm. 
until I was searching for my first house. And my rental was five miles away from my first house. But I had no idea what Valrico was. <laughs> and now I heart Valrico. Truly, <laughs> I mean, it's a great area. And But knowing what each little micro community offers, right? Do, do I want to be close to the beach? My answer was no. Because I knew hurricanes, right? My first year, 2004, we had five named storms come through our area. Welcome to Florida. <laughs> right. And, it's not always that bad, though. And my family up north that whole summer was panicked. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Move back. Come back. <laughs> my answer was no. I'm good. I'm safe. We're fine. And we've lived through a lot of 19 years worth of storms. Mm -hmm. Some easy some not so easy, but also knowing that, yes, I come from, you know, albeit one of the greatest cities, if not the greatest city in the world, I am biased, but I also knew that moving and living in Florida was not going to be like New York and having that mindset, because a lot of people come down and they grumble Oh, the food or this or that or that is not like insert wherever they came from. <laughs> That's a quick way to get on, get along with the locals, right? Right. <laughs> Tell us how it used to be. I mean, I stuck out and I still stick out like a sore thumb. If I talk a little too fast or get a little too animated, my accent really comes out. <laughs> I really focus hard on just speaking slowly. Mm -hmm. And when I speak a little slower... My accent's not as heavy than if I'm truly animated and running my mouth and just you going got another, a mile a another uh, Brooklyn native yeah. you know, that you're talking to. Yeah, I'm sure it comes out. Oh, goodness. Yeah. My son, <laughs> it was so funny about that. There was another girl from Brooklyn who I was talking with and she was new and my little, he was little then. He was probably like four or five and we were just chattering at probably <laughs> 70 miles a minute. And after we were done, you know, we parted our ways and my son looks up at me and goes, what language were you speaking? <laughs> I can't understand you, mommy. <laughs> what are you saying? Oh, my God. I said we were speaking English. He was like, no, <laughs> that sounded like another language. I said, well, OK, we were speaking Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And he's yeah, like, to him, it is. I'm sure. Yeah. But understanding that where you're going to is not where you're from mm -hmm. and embrace the difference embrace your new area well it's a big part of what makes it attractive too right and it's i think at least i think so because if you're trying to escape whatever circumstances or if you're just tired of the rat race or tired of the shoveling snow or tired of the whatever when you uproot and go somewhere else it's going to be different not just the weather right. you know everything changes and people also think that you're living in Florida, you should be tan all year round, <laughs> that it's always a vacation. Yes, we live where people vacation, and that is a beauty and a draw to people to live in the land of palm trees instead of gray buildings. But you still got to earn a living, mm -hmm. and most of that is during the day, so you're not going to be at the beach seven days a week. Also remember, Florida has some weird wildlife. <laughs> Gators crossing the road, insects that fly that are pretty large, all the things. 
know the area that you're coming to. If you don't like snakes, move to a building, maybe a co-op or a condo. High rise is going to be better suited for you versus Mm -hmm. rural living. Yeah. Right. If you're someone who doesn't want to deal with stairs, well, either find a place with an elevator or get a one level. Truly do the research. Don't just do it on a whim. And but check out, come and spend maybe two, three weeks in the area that Mm -hmm. you're looking to move before you even make that decision. Because what if it's not, you know, because a week vacation, you know, your first week anywhere is like, ooh, vacation. But when you start getting into the day in and day out of things, you kind of start to really see, oh, this area has a lot of traffic. Oh, over here is, you know, insert something you don't like, right? I've heard that if you're looking to relocate somewhere that you should go to all the Walmarts (laughs) and see how their Walmarts are. I had never been in a Walmart until I moved here. <laughs> Check out their Walmart who's in there and that'll give you a gauge of of where you're getting where you're gonna yeah. move to. I remember being like tickled walking into a Walmart. Mm-hmm. There was no Walmart in Brooklyn. Right. What's so, the closest to that? Maybe like a drugstore in the corner, like a CVS or something yeah, built into CVS, the side of a building. Walgreens, mm-hmm. Rite Aid, yeah, the Dwayne big, Reed. Sprawling stores, there's no space for them there. No. They we, pay way too much if they wanted that space. Target I had to go to Staten Island for, or uh, my last couple of years they did open up a Target in Brooklyn, but it was like a 30-minute drive. Mm-hmm. Who drives? And then you don't, yeah, if you get a trunk load of groceries or stuff, how are you getting it home? Right. <laughs> Take the bus, mm-hmm. good times. So also understand for people that I thought Florida is going to be very cheap compared to New York City because... New York City, right? You have state, city, and local taxes along with federal. So I was like, oh, if I'm automatically taxed at, you know, 38% and Florida, it's only federal. It's like, what, 9, 10%? I'm like, I'm making 20 extra bucks on my 100 every 100. But then I didn't realize my car insurance was the same. Mm -hmm. My policy in Brooklyn it was eighteen hundred a year for one car. My policy when we moved to Florida was seventeen hundred and sixty-two dollars for one car. Mm-hmm. Where's the savings? And I got to drive everywhere. It's all these bad Florida drivers that are doing that. It, to it us. is, you know, the, the turn <laughs> signals don't exist. <laughs> but those are the things, really. Like, learn, know your budget, right? What is your income going to be? If it's not a transfer and keeping you at that same budget. What's your new budget look like? Is it realistic? People don't like to pay attention to the bad word known as budget. And if they're used to eating out everywhere and you come here, it costs money to eat out. It costs money to buy food, but at least you can cook something and make it longer mm-hmm. and last longer. Paying attention to truly what your day-to-day is and talk to, talk to people. Talk to the people who made the move. Talk to the people who moved back, right? I can't tell you how many people moved to Florida, live here a year, realize this is not for me, and they move back. And then there's also people who move here, live here for a little bit, and then from those colder climates and do what's called a halfback, right? So they're going to like those middle states where the winters aren't as harsh and the summers aren't as harsh, but they're getting their seasons mm-hmm. because... Florida has what? 
summer, second summer, love bug season, love bug season number two, and a week of full winter. Yeah. About right. But if you're Sometimes someone two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> if you're someone who likes to see the leaves change, hmm, take a trip. It's not gonna be here. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're someone who likes to do outdoors activities, well, understand that Florida heat is oppressive. And that heat index is real. Mm-hmm. But I do the research, right? And ask the questions. Don't I be I like afraid. the advice of, of scoping it out first and being here. You know, vacation here, spend some time, get the get your bearings, you know, because there's so many different pockets of just our here. You know, you talk about, what was it, uh, Pasco, Hillsborough, and Pinellas. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a ton of options. And then just a little bit further is Manatee. And then just a little bit further is Polk County. And so right. it's like a... There's such a big footprint with a bunch of big new neighborhoods and established communities that if you just throw a dart, you don't know where you're going to be or what you get into. I mean, we have our, our big one in, in southeastern Hillsborough is Fishhawk, mm-hmm. right? That was a huge master plan community, which is still developing. Mm-hmm. 20 years later, still developing. Yeah. Waterset and the Apollo Beach area, they're a newer master plan community. But they still have plans that span out for the next 10 to 15 years Mm -hmm. of future development within that footprint. Pay attention, right? You want a new construction? You don't know the neighborhood. You don't know who the neighbors are going to be, what your neighbors are going to be like. Mm -hmm. You don't want new construction. You want something older than an established community. Well, go to an HOA meeting. Have fun. Yeah, what are they fighting about? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) What would, um, you know, and maybe this isn't, this is definitely not the same demographic of people as relocating, but what would be your best piece of advice that you could offer someone that's either coming out of school, coming out of um, maybe the military, you know, somebody that's ready to stop moving around or and plant roots and, and own a house? Like, well, imagine, you know, say mid-20s, Get early, a townhouse. early to mid twenties. What do you think? What kind of advice would you give them to prepare for this process? Watch your money. Watch your subscriptions. Right, especially for that younger demographic. Subscriptions. Mm-hmm. They have lots of them. Five dollars, twelve dollars, eighteen dollars, twenty dollars. Look at your budget. Right. Yes, it's easy to rent because someone else is taking on those problems, but. That rent is going to go up no matter what. Right. My own decision, right? I had rented from <clears throat> 1996 through 2005. In those years, had I waited a few extra months, I would have crested $100,000 paid out in rent. Mm. I could not mentally <laughs> wrap my head around that. And that's when I told them, we're buying something now. I'm not cresting 100 k mm-hmm. Now, Back then, my rents were a lot lower than rents are now. Yeah. So it's a lot quicker to get to that threshold. And when I look at it, I should have bought years prior. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Mm-hmm. When's the best time to buy something? Five years ago. Yeah. Next best time? Now. Today, right? <laughs> but look at, again, what is your monthly income? Are you stable? Are you a contract worker? You're going to need more cushion. 
because those contracts may not always come through. Mm -hmm. Are you a freelancer? Do you have multiple streams of income? How stable are those multiple streams? How good are you with budgeting? Do you know how to use a hammer? Do you, if you don't know how to change your filter in the AC or, you know, flush your AC line, right? This is Florida. We get algae growth. Mm -hmm. You got to flush that line once a month. Yeah. If you don't know how to do those things, it's going to cost you money. So factor that in also to your cost of homeownership. But truly look inside and say, do I plan on being here for a few years? Is this most people's first home is not their forever, but their first home can be their key to forever wealth. My first home I knew was not going to be my forever home. It was small, right? Three bed, two bath, 1176 square feet. But it enabled me to rent out and get income when we bought our second house that still may or may not be my forever home. But it's my home for now. Mm -hmm. And while I did sell off that first house, I wound up buying two other properties with those proceeds. Yeah. You just roll it into the what's next. And my, You know, what I did when I bought my first house, I was 20 when I bought my first. My dad was, you know, you quit your... I didn't even... I lived with friends for, I don't know, six months, just kind of bouncing around. And he had been telling me, you know, you need to buy a house now. Do it now. Do it now. Do it now. And so I listened and I jumped off and I did it. And it was great because, I mean, I made so much over the course of time and it just put me into such a better position as I grew older. Um, but what I did was roommates. And that's that's my advice to people. If you're not married, not settled down, don't have kids, there's two strategies that I really push to people. And make I want them to be, I don't push them, I want them to be aware of this. And anytime anybody asks me, Buy a house. If you can qualify for it on your own, great. That's what you want to do if you can. Slap a couple of roommates in there. You know, back then, like what was this, year 2000, I think, 2000, yeah. I My payment on the house was like 750 and I had two roommates, two roommates at 400 a month. So they paid full payment covered. They were my friends. We had a great time. It was an awesome place to be. It was a nice place, comfortable. And they paid the rent. They paid the mortgage. And I was like, this is kind of a no-brainer. Right? Living this for is, free. <laughs> yeah, living for free and building the equity and all of that. And they got cheap rent, too. They were happy because it was only, even back bucks. then, 400 bucks yeah. a month. Is great. Got full access to everything, kitchen, living room, like yard, all that stuff. And that's one strategy. The second is... Take advantage of multifamily. Duplex, triplex, Especially quadplex. with an FHA loan because you can go buy a four-unit quadplex for $800,000, whatever. Then I have to look at the limits. Less, they escape me. a handful, but yeah. They're up there, and you only need 3.5% down. So if you're able to get that money through a gift, through savings, through 401K, whatever it is, buy it, slap three other renters in, Keep it for a year and then go buy your next one and rent out that fourth unit. Now you're now you got a four unit apartment building. Or do it with a duplex anywhere yeah. in between. And I think that that's such an underused, underutilized strategy out there. Now, are there a ton of duplexes and quadplexes hanging around for sale? No, there's not. But if you can be patient 
and you can put the time in and you're flexible and you're willing to go live in a quote unquote apartment that you bought, that's, that's a huge advantage, huge step forward. I wish I would have known, right? It's one of those. I mm-hmm. wish I would have known about the duplex and, and those things back when we bought our first place. Yeah. Because now I look back, I could have made. I, I know, mean, yeah. I mean, I made good money. Right. Right. And I, it positioned me to do more things. Mm-hmm. But. That could have been income still today. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I could have wound up just selling one of the units if I wanted to cash flow or take a line of credit off it. Yeah. Yeah. Because from what it was bought in 2005 to when I actually sold it in 2020, it, there was a lot of gain there, mm-hmm. which Absolutely. was good. I mean, I, I weathered the dip. Yeah. Right. No, I I feel like it's up to it's up to you guys as agents to get that message out to people. You know, try to how do how do you intercept the the starry eyed first time home buyer? that's in that position. Now, if you got a family, if you're settled down and you need to find a place to plant roots and, and have toys in the yard and all the stuff that you're, you know, that's a different story. But if you got your unattached person, let them go out and kick off in that direction. I think that's a great strategy. And then even paying attention to, yes, we all know, right? Location, 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 but the foresight of, are you okay driving 30 minutes? Or yeah. 40 minutes to work. Right. If it means you get this. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? Those places that are a little bit further away from city center actually have the higher long-term gain. Mm-hmm. Because that's where urban sprawl winds up going. Yeah. Urban sprawl doesn't happen in the urban area because it's already there. It's already there, right. But Valrico, 20 years ago, was becoming part of the urban sprawl. Now, Valrico's fairly developed. Well, even more. Now, Plant City, Riverview. Dover. Riverview was mm-hmm. cow pastures, like yeah. we spoke about. Mm-hmm. It is so crowded there. Riverview started with two zip codes when I moved down here. I think they're up to like six or seven. <laughs> that just shows you how much urban sprawl happened. And those people who bought, when it was, sure, you know, 30 minutes to downtown Tampa, 40 minutes to downtown Tampa. Well, now everyone wants that. They want to be 30, 40 minutes away. Yeah. And those so people want to be a little bit. Drives your value up the whole time. Yeah, I get that. So if you hear that. News break. It's time for headlines. <laughs> This is when we go to Google and we say Florida real estate news. We're going to pull up a couple of articles here and we're going to find out what are the pundits saying? What are they talking about? And then we're going to talk about it. Let's find two hours ago. This one's interesting. This one's from Realtor.com. Former Lockheed CEO Marilyn Houston is selling her posh Florida penthouse for guess how much? 8.5. Lock- Low but good. 11.8 million. Hmm. Marilyn Houston, the one-time Lockheed CEO who is a defense contractor, Martin Marietta, Lockheed Martin, rockets, missiles, 
technology, space, satellites. Can you imagine? Seems to be shedding some of her real estate after selling her McLean, Virginia mansion last year for $5.55 million. She's now listed her four-bedroom, five-and-a-half-bath Southwest Florida penthouse for 11.8. Southwest Florida. So where are we? Uh, maybe so it'll what, tell us. Naples area? Maybe, yeah. I'll see Fort if it tells Myers. us. She and her husband James purchased this in 2017 for 5.2, and they placed the warm weather retreat on the market almost a year ago for 14 million, and later dropped the price. A full price sale would hand them a sizable return. Yeah, no joke. 6,600 square feet, every possible amenity, leisure lovers with deep pockets, tastefully decorated and fully furnished. Obviously, who wants to move furniture up and down a condo? Just waiting for the right buyer to show up with nothing more than a suitcase. It's a beautiful home. Well, it's sub-zero, double islands, luxury kitchen, dual bathrooms, blah, blah, blah. Very nice. I don't know. I don't, it didn't tell me a city. So we'll find that later. This is from Yahoo saying that these are the 10 most overpriced housing markets in the U.S., Five of them are in Florida. Florida Atlantic University determined that the most overpriced housing markets in the nation by comparing the average expected home values based on historical trends to the average list prices across 100 largest metro areas and finding the cities with the largest percentage differences between the two. Here's a look at the top 10. Nashville, Tennessee. The expected home value is 296 and the average listing is 420. It's 41% difference in the spread. Tampa, number nine. Average listing, 361. Expected value, 252. We haven't seen a median 252 in a minute. I don't know what you can find for 252. <laughs> it's been a long time. I, saw, I got buyers looking. Find me a house for 252. I got people. Difference between home value and list price, 42%. Deltona, Florida. That's on the other side of uh, Orlando towards the coast. 334 average list price, expected value 233. I don't know, Florida, Atlantic University. Well, that's what pandemic did. Brought everyone here and drove yeah. the prices up. Detroit, 226 average list, expected value should be 157. Palm Bay, Florida. It's the other coast. Mm -hmm. 345. Expected 238. They're 45% apart. Lakeland, Florida. What? Yeah. Lakeland. Average list price 303. They say it should be 209. 45%. Lakeland's and booming. You got I said that 10 years oh, ago. Lakeland's great. I love Lakeland. Charlotte, North Carolina. Cape Coral, Florida. That's where uh, Ian Lockheed Hitt. was just down. Okay. Yeah, was, yep. Well, Southwest Florida, somewhere down there. Uh, average list price three seventy five, expected value two fifty one, and that's surprising because Cape Coral, part of Lee County, is gorgeous. It is, and that I think, I think it should be that good. was an opportunity ten years ago because mm -hmm. I think so many people realized that Southwest Florida is just as beautiful and just as Floridy as Southeast, South Florida yeah. on the east side of the state. It's just not that. Uh, it's not the, it's not the, the it was a six bureau, bureau, borough, six borough. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just not the same. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about this. I mean, I guess you can make in. That's the thing about these headlines is that you can take any set of numbers and make it do what you want it to do. 
You know, hmm. if you're going to analyze them, you could make them look good. You can make them look bad. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that, but I don't feel like we're overvalued at the moment. No, because we lived through three years of pandemic, mm-hmm. which was just pure insanity. And truly, if you look at the stats and remove the pandemic, we're actually on par with where our 2019 early first quarter of 2020 trajectory was for interest rates and inventory and all of those things. You know, pandemic kind of just threw caution to the wind and made people realize we can live anywhere. We want to live where we can be outside. Mm -hmm. That leads me into these market stats that I pulled from uh, Florida Association of Realtors. I'm just looking at the Florida. um, It's the whole state. So I also have... The Tampa State P. Clearwater, which is our metro area. So closed sales in 2023 in February was 198 compared to 238 the year before. So volume of sales. Wait, no, that's manufactured homes. Excuse me. Let's go to the green one. 3,048 homes closed in 2023 February compared to 3782 it's down 19%. Not bad. I think that a lot of the frenzy is over. Well, right? and, and interest rates mm-hmm. healed a lot of people on going above and making it where you know where I have a question on here I was going to ask mm-hmm. you too and this is going to lead right into this. What do you tell people who say that I'm not going to buy a place, I'm going to wait for the market to crash or to for housing prices to fall what do you tell them because i always have a problem asking a real estate professional that because in everybody's eyes realtors are going to tell you to buy a house now no matter what right because that's what realtors do and that's what their job is there's to sell you a house but taking your realtor hat off for a moment and maybe looking at um you know consumer or homeowner or transplant what do you, what's your advice wearing that hat? Well, this is where, right, I serve, I don't sell. Mm-hmm. So I do a in-depth consultation with anyone who's looking to buy. And I also tell them, I will help them spend their money however they want. I love to shop. I'm a great shopper, right? My mom made a good consumer. But the big thing is, if it's not right for them or not right now, because markets will always fluctuate. Long-term, we know real estate is the way to build generational wealth, that and, and life insurance, right? If you go back 150 years, all these big, the Rockefellers and the Vanderbilts, generational wealth happened because someone died and they had a life insurance policy. And then those people used that money to buy real estate, mm-hmm. which then set them into what they are now but I do I've talked people out of buying a home because it just didn't feel right for me to help them buy something because they weren't ready financially they weren't ready mentally or they just had too many things too many things that were uncertain Mm -hmm. because 
you are. Yes, you can always sell down the line should it not really be. But there's a cost of buying and there's a cost of selling. And explaining the full picture on, sure, you know, whatever your down payment is, there's closing costs. Do you have those funds? Are you able to get them gifted? How long will it take you to get those funds? How is your credit? Are you maxed out? Well, you can't be that. Let's work on a game plan that it may just not be right now. But yes, when I wanted to buy my first house, I knew I wanted, but I had already had that plan moving down. I knew within that year, year and a half, I wanted to no longer be a renter. And how much were you thinking about the market during that time? I wasn't. Right, because you had a need. The market meant nothing. And in all actuality, everyone's timeline is different, mm-hmm. right? You have a different fingerprint than I do. Mm-hmm. So your time, right, your time was 20. My time was 28. Mm-hmm. And I think it was pretty good for me because it was my timeline. Yeah, right. I, I rented for nine years. But that's what people did in New York. People really didn't buy. And for Mm -hmm. me to buy something in New York would have been four to five times the amount if I wanted to stay in the location I I wanted to be at. Mm -hmm. I could never afford it. Right. And then I realized, ooh, well, Florida real estate is uh, a little more friendlier to my pocket. Knowing that, I tell people, and I use my own experience, I didn't get the first house we put an offer on either. Right? I, I go over the journey mm-hmm. and I tell them, listen, I'm here with you and I'm not going anywhere. If your time is now, let's go. If your time is in six months or six years, let's stay in touch. I'm not going anywhere. I will be here to serve for the rest of my life and hopefully my at least one of my children <laughs> continue my footsteps and can, and serve after me. Well, you were telling me before that um, your little one, would, he just did a video with you, right? Oh, kid realtor, kid <laughs> realtor. Little Nico, he's not so little, he's eight now, but my kids, I'm in, right, I'm in my fifth year, so they have seen, they've come on showings, mm-hmm. they've come on inspections, they've come on appraisals, they've come when I go out and do BPOs and market analysis on vacant properties, They've come scoping with me to find investment properties, which some of them I don't want them walking in. I'm like, don't touch anything, please. Mm-hmm. But he loves it, and he's he will be my little showman, right? <laughs> he's got red hair. He definitely attracts people to him. He's memorable. He's got a personality. And I'm not biased because I made him, but he really is. Like, you meet him, you remember him. Mm-hmm. My older one is my analytical. He's probably going to be the engineer who's building the things my little one is going to sell. Who knows? <laughs> right? Because then I got a niece who's an architect. She's got her architect degree from NYU. Mm. So kind of think that little young group will uh, definitely surpass anything that me, my siblings, and my parents had set into motion. But if it's not now... It's not the right time. And same thing with a seller. Sometimes it's not the right time for them to sell. Mm -hmm. Because where are they going to, right? What's their next move? 
during COVID when no one was, or not no one, very few sellers were accepting offers that were contingent on the sale of a home. Didn't matter how much you threw at them. Mm -hmm. They did not want that added layer. Nope. Sell the home. So then those leasebacks came into play. Mm -hmm. Now, because the frenzy is gone, it's easier to get those homes with extra conditions. But I'll be honest, I had a, a listing that we had for sale in Wesley Chapel in 2021, so still height frenzy. That open house had like 40 people come through. We had about 18 offers on that property. 15 of the 18 were above ask. The top two were literally competing with these um, escalation clauses, which we don't see much now, Mm -hmm. but they were in big play then. And understanding how to use one of those effectively was a whole different ballgame. But the person who won... And shame on that realtor. They never disclosed, and there is a portion on the contract that says, checkbox, contingent on the sale of buyer's property. Well, that deal got pushed, so closing had to get extended because their home didn't close on time. And we only found out when they asked to push our closing back. And I said, what do you mean? Was the house even under contract? I mean, there's so many things. So, and that seller was very upset Mm -hmm. because that then became a domino. They couldn't close on their new place. Yeah, right. And then who knows who that else, who else that affects down the line. I mean, it was a huge thing. And disclosure, right? Disclosing. Mm -hmm. We owe it to our peers. We owe it to our public to disclose that I'll tell people if I know something about a house and it's not listed in the public remarks, guess who's running their mouth? (laughs) I am never going to be presumed holding anything back and hiding. Mm -hmm. I will be honest to a fault. And then if I'm honest, I don't have to remember anything extra. That's so true. Yeah. I I have enough in my brain. Yeah. I don't need to know. You just I trust told, yourself, make the right decisions, be honest, and you're, and you'll trust in everything else. It all right. works. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. But um, current market for us, right? The stellar MLSs who Tampa, Pinellas, Pasco, Polk are part of. Our average days on market are fifty, as of March mm-hmm. twenty three, which is significantly higher than we were during peak pandemic where the average were single digits. We're back to normal. It's an anomaly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's an anomaly. Those, you know, the whole market was just like a, was different dimension. And the average sale price, or I should say the median sale price is 440, which is even above that other stat Mm -hmm. for the area. Yeah. Because again, most of these homes, if you're looking for a four-bedroom, two-bathroom home, you're not really going to find it for under 250 unless you go to the boondocks. Mm-hmm. Which the good news is there's still a market for that. Yes. Because we do have boondocks. We do have 
different places. We have Mulberry. We have Lake Wales. We have Zephyr Our Hills. Tab. We have, but yeah, the different their outskirts. They're not that far away. But realistically, do you have to always be in downtown Tampa? No. Or can you go and live in Polk County and be just as happy as you would anywhere else? Right. You know, you don't. Tampa is not the. You and your have taxes. To be in Center City. Because those are things people have to pay attention to are mm-hmm. their taxes. Yep. Don't fully pay attention to what all these previous owners paid in those taxes. Mm-hmm. Because when it's your time, yeah, it's going to be assessed on the value you paid. Yeah, exactly. And then homesteaded. That's a hidden. That's a hidden. Not hidden. Nobody's hiding it. But it's something that. I think the real estate professionals and the mortgage people aren't trying to make, aren't trying to hide that. It's just something that's going to happen in 18 months or 20 months or whenever that reassessment kicks in. And none of those people are thinking about a year or two in the future. They're thinking about today's deal. You know, this is the deal today. This is, these are the numbers. This is what it is. It takes a little bit extra effort to explain reassessments or to get in front of rising insurance premiums, the risk that comes with insurance premiums doubling. Insurance itself. Mm -hmm. January 2024, homes that are valued over $600,000, Florida State, you're going to have to have flood insurance, whether you're in a flood zone or not. Mm -hmm. And then for 2025, $500,000. Wow. So these are things people aren't talking about. Mm -hmm. These are things my peers... And I use the term loosely, but they don't even know. I'm part of weekly pitch groups, networking groups, and I talk about these things mm-hmm. because we all need to talk about it. Right. Just because someone is pre-approved for this price right now, you have to factor in. Okay, so you're buying a three-quarter million dollar home and you're in... Flood zone X, which means the least risk for flooding. Well, guess what? Effective January 2024, you're going to need flood insurance. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're in a non-flood zone, your flood insurance is respectable. Should be until the insurance companies get a hold of it. Correct. Who knows what they're going to do with it. But (laughs) When it becomes mandatory, it becomes more expensive. It's easier to pay, you know, a couple hundred bucks. Verse a few thousand. Yeah, flood zone A. Yeah, and AE. I've seen some ridiculous flood insurance. But you kind of, that comes with the territory. You know, you want to live on the sand Mm -hmm. by the water that comes and goes. And then people don't don't also talk about that if the current seller has a flood policy... They can sign that policy to the next person, mm-hmm. which will save them money. Yeah. I had a, a deal in Apollo Beach a couple of years back. The new policy for that buyer, and I worked for the seller, so, but I had a good rapport with the agent. And that buyer was almost not going to be able to qualify anymore because the flood insurance was coming back at about $3,000. Well, the current owner said, well, I can just sign my policy over and they take it over. And it was like 1600 Yeah. Well. Well, I'll take that. Way to save a deal, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, yes, I work for the deal. I work for the buyers or sellers, whoever hires me, but I work for the deal. 
how are we going to make that deal work? Mm -hmm. How are we going to make it good for everyone? The seller could have said, no, I don't want to sign anything. Let them deal with it. But when that seller actually bought their home the dozen years prior, that previous seller is the one who signed them that policy over as well. So they kind of paid it forward. Yeah. They did good. Yeah. They did the right thing. That could only mean one thing. It's time for Brain Busters. So this is a new segment we're doing on the show. And uh, these are kind of Jeopardy rules. You don't have to answer in a question, but there's five categories. You can pick. There's going to be five questions with five categories. So only five questions total. You can pick all five out of one, or you can choose your category and pick one out of each or any combination in between. Okay. So the categories are going to be general knowledge, real estate test questions, Florida facts, mortgage matters, and superheroes. And the superheroes category was written by my nine-year-old, so mm -hmm. that could get very deep. Just a warning. <laughs> well, I have eight and ten-year-old boys. Let's try it. Let's do the first one with a superhero. You want to run superhero? I, I do. Perfect. That's perfect. So the first question in this category is, who is Batman's biggest foe? Joker. That's absolutely right. That's correct. Yeah. All right. So you're one for one. All right. Um, let's do the mortgage one. The mortgage matters. Because I know enough to be dangerous, but I stay in my lane. There you go. First question in this category, what does P-I-T-I -I stand for? Principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. Another one perfect. Yay. All right. How about... Um, yeah, you pick. Dealer's you choice. You want me to pick? Dealer's choice. Okay. I'll pick. Let's go with general knowledge. And we'll do the first question in this category. What is the second largest state in the United States? Is that by demographic or by size? Size. Mm -hmm. The second largest. The second largest state. So the first largest by size is Texas. The second, I'm going to say, oh, it's either Alaska or Canada or California. I will go with Alaska. The second largest? Yes. Ah, oh, that's wrong. Bummer. Alaska's the, the biggest state. Ah. Huh. And then Texas is the second largest. So I had them swapped. All that's right. right. You're in the right track, though. That's good. All right. Repeat a category or new category? Uh, what got, were the two that we didn't do? We've yet? got Florida facts and real estate test questions. Oh, let's let's test my real estate test questions. <laughs> All right. So this is gonna be a multiple choice. Okay. All right. And I'll read the multiple choices a few times since you don't have them. You're not looking at them. Here's the question. Which of the following methods of surveying property is used in a subdivision where plat maps have been recorded? The choices are A, lot and block, B, surveyor's method, C, government survey method, D, meridian's method. Lot and block. That is correct. I also have to put that in the MLS <laughs> every time I'm entering a uh, new listing. All right, so you are uh, you get down to one last question. And the last category that we haven't used is Florida Facts, or you can pick from anywhere else that you want. 
Is it going to be like Florida Man or one of those? No, they're All pretty right. factual. You know, nothing. There's not no no opinions in there. Okay. It's factual. I'm not a native, but let's see. I'll try Florida facts. Florida facts. Okay. I think this is an easy one, but I'm a Florida native. But I don't know. We'll see. What city is the oldest city in Florida? St. Augustine. That is correct. Four out of five. Ponce de Leon. You did a good job. Yay. Congratulations. That you now currently hold the high score for Look at that. brain busters. And had I not second guessed my brain, <laughs> I would have gotten that other one. And that's the story of my life, right? Well, well, when well. I took my real estate exam, my practice class exam, I got the highest in the class. Surprise. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a student, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I would have had a night I would have only had one wrong instead of two wrong because I crossed and changed my right answer to the wrong one. Sometimes it's like just go with it. If yep. your brain tells you that's the answer, just go with it. Don't second right? guess. And that's why I was like Texas. And yeah. I'm like, but I knew Texas and Alaska. People uh, forget about Alaska though. Nobody's ever had to drive through Alaska. Well, and the you know? topography, like when you look at it on a map, yeah, it's, they it's, it's they make here. it look yeah. smaller right. than it is mm-hmm. because they also make Greenland look bigger than Iceland. Mm-hmm. I mean, so yeah, it's it distorts when it gets up yes. to the top there. Yeah, that's that's definitely. And then we we're not we don't see Alaska every time we look at the map, you know, because no. it's kind of it's like Hawaii. It's just kind of off to the side. Yeah, but that's that's it. That's good. It's fun. If you could distill down and you could summarize, what's one what was one thing that you want your clients or prospective clients or fellow agents or anyone else? to know about you, Elena, as a person? Faith first. And I serve. I am honest. I was raised by my parents, and faith was a big part of my life growing up. Mm -hmm. It is still a part of my life currently. So when I don't answer your call at 6.30 on a Sunday, (laughs) I'm in mass Mm -hmm. and respect that. I will be available all the other times, but there are certain things that are non-negotiables for me, and faith and family is always first. But honesty and integrity, I will do something for you even if it's the not, not the best thing for me. It is not about making money for me. I can do a lot of things, and as we spoke about in the beginning, I've done a lot of things to earn a living. Mm-hmm. I choose to serve because I really feel this is what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to help people and help and serve my communities. When my father, before he passed, the week before, made me promise that I would not stop serving my communities because I serve a bigger community than he ever dreamed he could in his restaurants. (laughs) That's beautiful. And I will continue far as it stretches me, I will still do it. And Good. I gladly do it. Yeah. And I think there's a there's a lot to be said there because you wouldn't you wouldn't be running in the circles that you're running in if you if you were felt differently. You know, if the honesty and the integrity weren't there, you wouldn't be invited to these things and asked to be a part and stay and stay in those things, you know, because I think that really does come from within and shine. It comes from within and shines through, and it it sticks with you, and people see that, I think. I think that's true. I have a framed phrase 
success is due. Success is like rent. It's due every day. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to work at it every single day, Mm -hmm. no matter what. And the rent is due. I mean, my kids heard me saying years, you know, when I was first getting into real estate, I wake up every day unemployed, right? Unless, because for realtors and lenders and, and people that are in these things that are contracted, right? If I'm not closing a deal, I'm not earning a living. So my kids said to me, you really don't have a job? You're unemployed? And I said, well, it's a figure of speech, but it's a motivation, right? What I'm doing today may not affect my today, but it's going to affect my future. And when I started and I was engrossed and still am engrossed, but just not at that level, like no more 300 hours of CE for me because I put all that work in and I'm busy, right? Mm -hmm. I've put the work Don't be afraid to put the work, right? Failing is your first attempt in learning. Don't be afraid. Fear is truly, it's a good and a bad thing. I'm never afraid. People are afraid of the unknown. I don't need to know the unknown. I'll get there. Whatever it is will be unveiled to me when it's my time to know. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, I could have gotten into real estate 20 years ago. I would not be the realtor I am right now. Mm-hmm. I could have bought a home sooner. It wasn't my time. Getting focused on the coulda, woulda, shoulda, you didn't move forward, right? What can you do? What could you do? What will you do? And get out of your head, right? So many people get lost, and and I at times, right, get lost in a little bit of the negative talk. Wow, you know, should I do this? Or, oh, I can't believe, or, oh, woe is me. Forget woe is me. Give yourself your five-minute pity party, right, and then move on. Learn from it, move forward, keep going, brush it off, own your mistakes, right? Teddy Roosevelt, the buck stops here. I will own other people's mistakes before they own theirs. Look, I should have foresaw that this deal was going to go sideways. I probably did, and I probably didn't listen to the little voice. (laughs) So whose fault is it? Why am I going to put blame? I'll take the blame. Let's move forward. Mm -hmm. How do we fix it? How do we move forward? Always moving forward and giving your best. I mean... I have to live it because those little eyes are watching. Mm -hmm. And just like I watched my parents when I was growing up, my mom was an officer in securities in the 80s. Women did not hold those positions. So she was on Wall Street too. My dad was an entrepreneur. And my dad's dying wish was for me to continue to keep moving forward. What, what does an entrepreneur say to their entrepreneur child? Don't stop. Yeah. Keep moving. And I see his blessings. It's still very fresh. It was only a few months ago. The day after he passed, I had to leave for midwinter conference. 
the week of five days before he passed, he told me, do not stop. Yeah, he because knows because he has that experience himself and he, and he knows <coughs> that, you know, he doesn't want that to be, he doesn't want that to derail you. And exactly. He's, he had the foresight and wisdom to be able to. And what a give blessing, as weird as it was, for him to literally pass on a Sunday and 24 hours later, I'm driving away for six days. I know. That's not the right timing. <laughs> but it was the right timing mm -hmm. because had he have lingered, my focus would not have been where it needed to be. Every time my phone buzzed or, or rang, I would have been. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. No, he blessed me. Mm -hmm. He blessed me by me being able to be there with him. Have my pity party. Where did I go? He passed at 2.30 in the afternoon. I was in mass at 6 p.m., sitting where I would normally sit with him and my kids. And then the next morning, I got my stuff packed up and ready, hugged my kids, Kissed my husband, said, I'll see you in six days. I'm sorry, this is not the best time. But we did it. I, I did it. And I was able to truly focus on something that had nothing to do with me, but to serve my community, which is living his legacy. Yeah. So my kids see it. They know it was hard for them, too. It's hard that's, for everyone. But it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Move forward <laughs> and... And keep living in his honor and my mom's honor. Yeah. She was born the year Women's Council was created. I don't <laughs> think there's a, a, a reason, like, there's no mistakes in life, right? It was meant for me to be part of Women's Council, especially when I started doing the research, right? Oh, they were founded, they were founded the year my mom was born. <laughs> so I'll always remember that. And again, she was, she was a tough cookie. She was a Brooklyn native working on Wall Street in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Good Lord. <laughs> a little different back then. A lot it? different. Yeah. A lot different. You, she had to wear heels and skirts, and here I was, 19 years old, in pants <laughs> and flats. But the both of them poured everything into me, and I pour everything into my business and my family and my community. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Tell me, um, how do how do people find you? Elena VIP Homes across all social media platforms. But should you want to call or text me, my cell phone number is 347-524-9674. Yes, I have a New York number. When I say loyalty, <laughs> I've had one cell phone number my entire life. That number was generated November of 96. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I've still got my original one too. Yeah. I've had I've got others, but I've got my original one too. That's great. Yeah. And Thank do you have a website? I do, elenaviphomes.com. Perfect. Again, Instagram, Elena VIP Homes, Facebook, Elena VIP Homes, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok. Every uh, when I say Elena VIP Homes, E L E N A V I P H O M E S, across any and all social media platforms, that is me. That's great. That doesn't get any simpler. Nope. <laughs> keep it simple. Keep it consistent. I am who I am, and I'm ready to serve. Good. Well, hey, I really 
really appreciate you coming on the show. I enjoyed our time. I've Thank learned you. a lot about you that I didn't know before. And uh, I think you're a great, great agent who represents the whole career very professionally and with integrity. So thank you for coming and uh, we will see you again next time. Thanks for listening. Check us out, floridahousinghour.com, YouTube, video podcasts. Listen where all podcasts are hosted. Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, out there in the world. So thanks for tuning in and we'll see you again next time. Bye-bye.